0: Hi, I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside Roadside Horror Show. Show. We are still in Maine this week, and I actually found out something interesting about Maine. Oh, really? Yeah, they had this cryptid creature that turned out not to be a cryptid creature. Like, this woman found this thing that she said looked like a bigger, like, grayish-colored dog with these, like, or blue or something like that, with, like, these weird eyes and stuff. Uh. And... She like something was happening like her animals are being attacked or something weird like that. And then she eventually found or like there was like a string of that happening mm-hmm. until this woman ended up founding like finding this dead body of this thing. And for a while it was considered like a cryptid creature until they sent it to like experts like this is definitely a dog.
1: <laughs> it's not chupacabra. It's
0: a dog. They actually did think chupacabra for a oh, while goodness.
1: too. No, no. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Main. Maine. I have a uh, maple flavored beer today in honor of Maine, I guess. I don't know. I, I
0: have Diet Mountain Dew. It's nothing special. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so I don't really have any fun facts about Maine. I feel like I ran through a lot of those fun facts last week.
0: I think we did too, which is why I decided to talk about the not so cryptid cryptid.
1: <laughs> well, I guess I could dive into my true crime story.
0: That would be delightful.
1: It's surprisingly free of uh, blood and gore, but it's some pretty good hijinks.
0: Okay, yeah. Let's hear it.
1: All right, cool. Our stop today is in Mars Hill, Maine, a small town of about 1,500 people or so. That's only about a mile from the Canadian border with New Brunswick. Okay. It's a super tiny area. It's largely agricultural, and the landscape is dominated by Mars Hill, which is the mountain that gives the town its name. Mars Hill is home to Maine's first wind farm, which was built in wind 2006. Farm? Yeah.
0: Like it's powered by, like, wind, like what is a wind farm?
1: A wind farm is where they take a bunch of like those really big wind turbines. Yeah, that's what I
0: thought. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: And they put a bunch of them up on Mars Hill in 2006 and it became Maine's first wind farm that provides power to the town and the surrounding area.
0: They're basically giant versions of those little uh, pinwheel things that yep, people get yep. on their yards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Also, near Mars Hill is the 200-acre big rock ski area, so it's a huge recreation area, and that's another source of income for the area, but mostly it's agriculture.
0: Have you ever been skiing? No. I'm afraid that I'm going to break something, so I've never done it.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I enjoy snow, but the idea of like strapping two pieces of wood to my feet and hurtling myself down a mountain just doesn't (laughs) really appeal.
0: (laughs) What is it like? pizza and french fry like are those the terms that they use like, it's pizza and something
1: i think it's pizza and french fries because like pizza is when you make the wedge in and that's how you, you yeah. slow down or speed up or something i think it's slow down i
0: don't know i don't know anymore
1: that's like I, i've never been skiing no one's ever taught me i just I, I just know what i know from the movies i just
0: remember um like the south park episode that was supposed to be like better off dead yeah <laughs> i was like your problem there was that you pizza when you were supposed to french fry yeah <laughs>
1: So skiing's out for us if we go to Maine. Yeah, no skiing. All right, cool, cool.
0: Unless someone wants to pay my hospital bills afterwards.
1: <laughs> we can just hang out in the lodge and drink hot cocoa. It's fine. That sounds fun. So Myers Hill also is the location for the largest bank robbery in Maine's history. Oh. This is the story of Bernard Patterson's big heist.
0: I'm excited because you said you were going to do a bank robbery like a while back and they're like, "Nah, I don't want to do this anymore."
1: It's true, it's true. I have been on the lookout for a good a good bank robbery or some kind of art heist, but uh something different, that's. Yeah, something fun. different. This is a pretty cool story. It's pretty wacky. So, most of the story focuses on our main perpetrator, Bernard Patterson.
0: Oh, I thought you meant Maine with an E. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So Bernard Patterson grew up in Mars Hill during the 1950s and 60s. By all accounts, he was a really bright kid, very intelligent, but he grew up dirt poor. So poor that a lot of times as a child, he didn't really know where his next meal was coming from. And his folks were basically, you know, potato farmers who barely eked out a living.
0: Yeah, that's not good.
1: Uh, Other than that, he was friendly and charming and was a natural when it came to mathematics. So a little bit of a math whiz. But he was also one of those smart kids in school who gets really easily bored by general academics. Okay. I think we all know that person. Oh, yeah. I think I've been that person occasionally. Me too. <laughs> so by the time Bernard gets to high school, he was already ready to get the hell out of school. He held nothing for him. He knew he didn't have the money to go to college. So he drops out and decides, hey, I'm going to join the army. That's something I'll get me out of Mars Hill, give me a good paycheck, and I can see the world. Now, which is
0: what most people think when they join the army. Exactly.
1: Now, for Bernard Bernard, that meant that he found himself in Vietnam because this was the mid-1960s where he ended up becoming a tunnel rat. Have you ever heard of that term, tunnel rat?
0: Um, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I have no idea.
1: So, a tunnel rat was this particular almost like a combat engineer infantryman position in Vietnam where guys who happened to be of smaller build, so guys who are like, you know, five, six, or shorter, would be sent to perform these underground search and destroy missions in the tunnels that were underneath the landscape that the Viet Cong had built to basically, you know, sneak around, get supplies um, to different points in the Vietnam countryside. So Bernard was one of those guys who would crawl through these tunnels armed with only a pistol bayonet flashlight and explosives and like kind of search out and destroy these weapon caches take out any enemy fighters that he might have found in the tunnel cool yeah it's cool but it's extremely dangerous oh
0: i could imagine
1: but luckily for bernard he was really good at it he ended up rising to the rank of sergeant and he earned four bronze stars during three tours in vietnam so he did some pretty heroic things while he was overseas
0: yeah that's great
1: And it was also in Vietnam where Bernard discovered his deep and abiding love of cannabis.
0: Oh, yeah! So he's a pothead. He's
1: totally a pothead, and he starts to smuggle weed back home from Vietnam to. This is
0: before it was socially acceptable. Exactly.
1: Um, So he starts smuggling weed every time he comes home to the U.S. between his service tours, Um, and he kind of gets himself in contact with you know the underground black market scene in maine and connecticut that area where like he'd end up spending his leave time so by 1971 bernard's ready to sign up for a fourth tour in vietnam the army however is like "Mm, thanks but no uh just based on some of the concerns that the army had over his mental condition some sources i read said that he was possibly exhibiting the early signs of post-traumatic stress disorder from his time as a tunnel rat
0: you know that's you know pretty standard
1: yeah, totally makes sense. So now you have Bernard, who's about 24 years old, and he's back in Mars Hill, Maine. Now, despite being a decorated Army veteran, he's still a high school dropout, and his employment options were pretty limited. He didn't really have anything he could fall back on. So he's unable to find work, so he spends his days partying, smoking weed, cruising around Mars Hill with a handful of friends, and romancing the local ladies. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the uh, sources I came across said that he was very much a charmer, very charismatic guy, could basically charm the pants off ladies very easily. And it's when he's kind of just hanging around town doing nothing with his buddies that he kind of hits on this idea. He begins to case the local branch of the Northern National Bank, which is located near the heart of Mars Hill. And he notices that a majority of the local businesses in town make a weekly deposit on Fridays. Okay. So he starts to formulate a plan. And his plan is basically to hold up the bank on a Saturday morning when they still have all the deposits that were deposited on Friday throughout the business day. So on Saturday morning, November 12th, 1971, Bernard puts his plan into action. He puts on this kind of ridiculously floppy reddish brown wig and he enters the Northern National Bank and walks up to the teller. He didn't actually have a gun. But he had a toy gun that he bought at the local grocery store Oh, okay. (laughs) that he flashes to the teller and then demands all the money in the safe. Now, despite recognizing Bernard, the teller hands over all the cash from the branch, which totaled more than $177,000, which is about $1.1 million in today's money. Damn. Yeah. So it's kind of hilarious as I picture this in my head because I just see like basically this teller's doing their job and it's like, Bernard, is that you? Give me all your money. (laughs) So Bernard grabs the cash and he escapes from the bank and he crosses the road that kind of runs down the center of town to the Bristol stream. Now the Bristol stream is this, it's not a river. It's definitely a stream, but it runs through the middle of Mars Hill and it eventually runs north into Canada. So Bernard's plan is to take the, stream up as far as he can and eventually make it across the border and hide out with the money he locates a raft that he had stashed earlier along with some camping supplies and he pulls them out and into the stream then he piles the bags of money onto the raft and proceeds to paddle down the stream
0: oh shit okay so his get plans, away by stream
1: yeah pretty clever right his plan's going pretty well for about 500 yards
0: Oh well, he didn't make it very far then. No,
1: he did not. Basically, he under he underestimated how much the money would weigh, and oh, no. <laughs> the raft starts to tip.
0: Oh god!
1: <laughs> so he ends up in the freezing cold water, and he manages to salvage most of his supplies and the money, and he piles it back up onto the raft. He paddles another fifty yards before the raft completely capsizes into the water. Oh no! This time he's only able. Wait, to Wait, why am I
0: rooting for him? He, <laughs> he, you know, stole from a bank.
1: You can't help it, right? He kind, right. he's kind yeah. of plucky. It's You're like, kind oh, of
0: endearing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah,
1: he didn't hurt anybody. He just like took a bunch of cash. Yeah. So. He- I
0: guess <laughs> it's kind of how I feel about like the show Good Girls because they used a fake gun too. So.
1: Yeah, yeah that's a good show. I like that show. It is a great show. I can't wait for season three. Me too. So he he like capsizes in the river. He grabs, he manages to grab the cash and like a handful of camping supplies before the current sweeps everything, including the raft away. So now he's like, well, crap, what am I going to do? And he starts to hike through the woods and eventually he reaches Mars Hill Mountain. He camps out in the mountain for a few days before he's able to locate a friend's cabin where he resupplies, gets some new clothes and just takes that time to kind of bunk down there for a little bit. A few more days after that, he leaves the cabin and heads to his local pot dealer's house. There, he buys a couple joints, and he convinces his dealer to drive him to Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut, for about 200 bucks. Okay. Uh, So once they're in Connecticut...
0: Wait, how much of this money does he still have?
1: He still has a majority of it. Okay. Like He managed to save almost all the money um, that he stole. So he's basically working with like over a million dollars. That's good. So he's in Connecticut, and he decides, you know what? I'm going to board a plane to California so I can catch up with one of my Army buddies. So he hops on the plane, ends up in sunny, sunny California. Oh, okay. He ends up uh, hanging out and partying with his Army buddy for a few weeks, where they smoke tons of weed and start hooking up with a bunch of hippie girls. Eventually, Bernard knew that he would get caught if he stayed in California. So he decides, you know what? I'm just going to go big or go home, or go to jail, I guess, in this point. Yeah. And he decides, I'm going to live as large as I possibly can until I get caught. So So he pretty
0: much figured getting caught was inevitable.
1: Inevitable, yeah. He kind of knew it was eventually going to happen. So he manages to secure a fake passport, convinces his army buddy to join him on a spending spree through Europe. So they hop on planes and they manage to get almost all the money through like customs
0: oh my god when okay. they land
1: in in geneva switzerland
0: <laughs> oh well you know good place to go with your money exactly I guess.
1: exactly so they end up like living this crazy like and it's like the in 70s like party animal lifestyle in switzerland for a few months they're staying at the most opulent villas they can possibly rent they go out to like the best restaurants at one point he and his buddy rent like this gorgeous like ski chalet and end up shacking up with like six women who also all live there with them. Wow. Yeah. He's like living big. Uh, so it's during this time, however, like after he kind of parties it out a little bit, he ends up meeting a British airways flight attendant named Maggie and Maggie who predominantly lives in London. She's also happens to be the daughter of a prominent judge. There. Is it Maggie Smith? That'd be amazing. But no, <laughs> Bernard falls really hard for Maggie and he's totally smitten. So when her time is up in Switzerland, he follows her back to London. She takes some time off of work and the two of them shack up in a love nest where he proceeds to spend lavishly on her, buying her lots of presents, including a Triumph motorcycle. Oh, yeah. Pretty fancy.
0: That is fancy.
1: Uh, After a few weeks, Maggie has to go back to work, which leaves Bernard at home in her flat with the motorcycle. He gets bored, starts going to local pub, kind of flirt with other women, partying. And then eventually he's just kind of like, you know what? I'm restless. Let's just hop on the bike and go back to Switzerland. So he does. And that's also where his army buddy stays. So he hooks back up with his army buddy. They continue to party. Now, it was probably a good thing, too, that Bernard had the good sense to get the hell out of London. Since the bank robbery, the FBI had been brought in to hunt. Bernard the local police really couldn't handle it they didn't have enough manpower and they also had no freaking idea what happened to him so from a couple of the articles I read is that they said that Bernard didn't really act the way most criminals who rob a bank do and the FBI and the local police were kind of stumped at like where the hell he could be they knew who he was because the teller knew who he was and they kind of figured that he may have escaped into you know the wilderness surrounding Mars Hill but from there they had no idea However, eventually, they come across his dealer who gave him the ride to Connecticut and they start piecing together the missing parts of Bernard's trail.
0: Oh, no. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Eventually, they realize that he has a fake identity. I think it was something like Robert Inger okay. was his fake identity. And they realize that this Robert Inger fellow has been in Europe for about as many months as Bernard's been missing and has lots of cash to throw
0: around. Ooh, smart, smart, smart.
1: Mm-hmm. So they contact the local European authorities, including Scotland Yard, who then begins to look for Bernard in London. Meanwhile, he is back in Switzerland and he and his buddy kind of go, you know, I'm bored with Switzerland. We've kind of parted this out. Let's see what else Europe has to offer us. So they go on a motorcycle trip cross country well, cross continent, I guess, across Europe. They bike down to Italy for a couple days and then they decide, you know what, let's go to Greece. And they get to Greece and the border guards are like, "Mm, you guys are on two bikes and you have a lot of cash. This is kind of suspicious. And they turn them away. Okay. At this point, Bernard's army buddies sort of catching on that obviously this money is stolen. And Bernard's probably in a lot of trouble. Genius
0: to figure that out at this point.
1: Exactly. It's like, well, it's been a really fun ride. So, uh,. And he steals a little bit of Bernard's cash and just takes off and like disappears. Bernard's kind of like, well, that sucks. I guess I should probably hit the road again. And he goes back to Italy and he ends up hopping on a ferry across the Mediterranean to Tunisia. Now, I've never known that much about Tunisia.
0: I don't know a whole hell of a lot about it either.
1: But I do know that it's a Muslim country.
0: Yes, because it's North Africa, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: It's a Muslim country. And I don't think Bernard knew that. Um, So he was pretty miserable when he was there because he couldn't really party because there wasn't booze There weren't a lot of like free ladies looking to get down with a charming short, dude Uh So he it's kind of like this. This is a boring ass place. Do we know how
0: tall he actually is?
1: I think he's only like five six something like that. Like was a pretty short, dude But he's like well I don't want to go back to Europe because I really think someone's like authorities know So I'm gonna make a break for it. So he buys a camel and ventures into the desert to escape.
0: Okay. As you do when you're, you know, I guess there on the run. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So one of the, one of the uh, videos I watch for this is this, this guy who wrote a book about this whole uh, adventure that Bernard had. And he basically puts it this way. He's like, you know, he was really good in, you know, the woods. He was really good in the jungles of Vietnam and he was absolutely terrible in the desert. (laughs) <laughs> he had no idea what he was doing. He got lost within a day and just wandered around like the Sahara Desert for about 3 or 4 days. Oh wow. Before he was so dehydrated that he couldn't control the camel anymore and the camel, being a camel, just went back to its home oasis.
0: Oh man. <laughs> okay.
1: So he shows back up the same oasis where he bought the camel, you know, gets himself like some water and starts to recover. Sells the camel back to the guy he bought it from. For a loss, I'd imagine.
0: I would assume. Like
1: the the camera is gently used. I cannot take it back. <laughs> and he decides, you know what? Tunisia is not the place for me. And he hops back on a ferry. So he gets back to London. Uh, sorry, he gets back to Italy. And at that point, he realizes that he's really running low on cash. He has pretty much spent through most of the money he stole.
0: I don't even know how you do that, but well, all I mean, right, ladies,
1: ladies, ladies.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> so. At this point, he's like, all right, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't have rushed out on Maggie like that. And this is only about a month or two after he, he kind of ghosted her, basically. Yeah. So he sells his motorcycle and buys a one-way ticket to London. Once he arrives in Heathrow, he calls Maggie. And she's kind of spooked because at this point, she's already been interviewed several times by Scotland Yard.
0: I figured as much.
1: So she reluctantly agrees to meet him. And she meets up with Bernard at like a hotel near Heathrow. And she tells him, you know, I don't want to see you anymore. Whatever you're involved in is crazy because Scotland Yards contacted me. Oh, and by the way, I'm pretty sure they're like following me and keeping tabs on me. Oh. So this completely freaks out Bernard.
0: Wiretap, perhaps?
1: Maybe. Could have been. But I feel like if they wiretapped, then they would have known she was going to meet him at a hotel. Yeah. But I don't know. She was definitely being followed, though, because that's something that came up in every single source that she was... Can definitely like certain she's being followed okay so bernard freaks out and he's like what am i gonna do and then he remembers a weekend trip that he and maggie took to the island of jersey not to be confused with new jersey yeah not new jersey <laughs> so he catches a ferry to jersey while he's on the ferry he happens to meet two women uh one was uh, married to a local fisherman and the other was his the fisherman's sister and they are so smitten by bernard they invite him back to their place so the trio starts to throw these raging parties for a few days because her husband is out at sea. And then eventually, after a couple days, the fisherman returns, only to find Bernard in bed with not only his wife, but also his sister. Oh. <laughs> so after a serious ass-kicking by the fisherman. Like at the
0: same time. At the same time. Oh, oh, okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, swinging 70s, man. I guess, yeah. I'm sure that's the most mild of things he got up to. That's true. So after a serious ass-kicking from the fishermen. Bernard's all beaten up, and he ends up going back to the ferry terminal, and he attempts to return to the U.K., and that is where he is captured by authorities looking very worse for wear.
0: Oh, okay, so now he's picked up by Scotland Yard, I'm assuming?
1: I think so, because they took him back to the U.K. for a little bit, and then eventually the FBI shows up, and they extradite him back to the U.S. in June of 1972, so, basically, from the time he stole the money, which was, like, November of 71, it's, like, eight months, and he ends up spending all of the $177,000. Oh, okay. Like, he pretty much, I think when they, they found him, he had something like two grand left.
0: Wow, he just blew through all of it. Yeah.
1: It's quite the, quite the living large. Absolutely.
0: I don't think I could spend that much money that quickly.
1: I mean, I would love to try. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, at trial... Bernard is lucky again he encounters a judge who's pretty sympathetic now this judge was himself a world war ii vet so he kind of understood the circumstances that Bernard was in when he got home from Vietnam and didn't have any employment prospects and was just kind of you know basically suffering from like the early signs of post-traumatic stress disorder so the judge goes lenient on him and he sentences him sentences him to the minimum which is 15 years in prison And uh, it was the minimum versus, like, the maximum of 30 years in prison, which actually would have been pretty reasonable given the fact that it was the largest bank robbery in Maine's history, and he spent so long on the run. That's true. So Bernard ends up being sent to federal prison in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania.
0: Oh, the college town.
1: Yeah, the college town with a state pen in it, or a federal pen, I should say. And uh, the Lewisburg Penitentiary is pretty infamous for just the violence that happens among the the incarcerated population there. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, it has. It's it's always been like it's one of the worst, quote unquote, like that, like San Quentin. Like they're very tough. Wow. Yeah, they're very tough. Because like
0: it's such. Have you ever been there?
1: uh, From the outside, yeah.
0: It's like I mean the the Lewisburg. Yeah, my my brother went to college there. Yeah, it's like a really nice little town.
1: Yeah, but the town's only there because of the college and the prison. Yeah, so it's a cute town for sure. But for I sure. never would
0: have thought that the prison would be that major.
1: Yeah, yeah, some pretty hard fellas in there. Um, actually, I found a quote that uh, so that from from Bernard while he was there, and by all accounts, he was only there for five years. Like he got out on parole early. He only served like a, like a third of his sentence, but he was very deeply changed by it uh the thing he said about penit- the penitentiary in Lewisburg was quote of all the things i did in vietnam i was never more scared than in prison like that's crazy that's yeah that like, is like the dude who's like like underground and tunnels yeah. like what
0: he went through all that in the war and yeah. then still he's just like no prison is way scarier than the war <laughs> yeah
1: um i feel like if he would have thought about that a little bit harder he may not have uh committed his crime
0: probably not but you know hindsight's 2020 yeah exactly so.
1: So eventually he's released and he gets married and he has a daughter. Uh, the couple move back to Maine uh, in the town of Westfield, which is pretty close to Mars Hill. Uh, Bernard takes up farming. Well, illegal cannabis farming. Okay. And despite a couple run-ins here or there with local authorities who always try to raid his farm, but are never successful, he remains pretty clean uh, for the years to come. Eventually his marriage does end in divorce and Bernard Patterson himself dies of an alcoholism-related heart attack in 2003. He was only 56 years old at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: So he was pretty young.
1: Pretty young. Pretty young, pretty wild guy. And that's the story of Bernard Patterson's big heist.
0: That was fun. I liked it.
1: (laughs) Right? I was like... Looking for good heists, and when you see a lot of robberies, it's very like cut and dry. It's like they robbed stuff, they got caught. They got
0: caught. caught, and that's it. Yeah, like
1: This guy like, was like, well, I'm going to get caught. Let's go big. I thought I, it was so charming.
0: <laughs> I do love a fugitive story. Yeah. I think it's fun, because just to see how desperate people get and go all over, and he really went all over. Yep.
1: yep. My sources for this week's story were two video clips from Bill Green's Maine, uh, the Banger Daily News, uh, News Center maine.com and a secure life.com
0: i've been using bangor daily news too but we need to remember to say bangor bangor because bangor is here they pronounce it bangor, bangor. over there bangor. yeah
1: bangor okay
0: just like the difference between lancaster and lancaster
1: lancaster lancaster
0: yeah because we say lancaster over here in pennsylvania but in california that's lancaster,
1: lancaster. i think i say both
0: yeah, I remember working at Cigars International years ago on the phone, and someone was from Spokane, Washington. It was the first time I had ever seen it written, and I was like, you're Spokane? from Spokane? And Ooh. they're like, it's pronounced Spokane. That's like they when got really mad. That's
1: like when people say Oregon.
0: I've never heard people say Oregon. Oh,
1: no, it's Oregon. It's so terrible. Up oh, up except maybe when
0: we were all playing Oregon Trail as kids, <laughs> and people would say Oregon Trail. I do remember that now. But no, the thing is... I have to correct people all the time on their pronunciation of um, a certain town in Kentucky. Louisville? It's, it's spelled like Louisville or Louisville, mm. but it's Louisville. 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 Uh,
1: don't even get me started on the New Orleans. Oh, yeah. Every, every, t- every time I say it, I just wait a beat because I know someone's going to be like, actually. Uh- <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't win. I'm going to Louisiana. That's where I'm going. Yeah,
0: exactly. Don't even bother saying it. <laughs>
1: All right, well, uh, I guess we can take a quick pit stop and then come back for your, uh, is it a haunting story?
0: Haunting stories, plural, because Maine was such a pain in the ass to try to find stories for yeah because small population but they had a lot of stories they just had no information on the stories. yeah
1: i found it like you figure it's the biggest bank robbery in maine's history i'd have more i'd be able to find more resources sources more easily and it was tough it was still tough yeah Yeah. i was like i guess i'm gonna buy this book (laughs) yeah
0: i used a book for part of mine too
1: all right roadsters we will catch up with you in a minute
0: and we're back I have a story for you, Nicole. You, t- you promised me stories. Stories, yes, yeah, several excellent, of them actually. Excellent. So hello again, everyone. This week, I wanted to do something a little different seeing as Maine is the ninth smallest state by population. Uh, number one is Wyoming, which I'm sure to most Americans, that's no surprise. Um, so we're probably...
1: Actually, my wife has a friend from college who lives in Wyoming. Oh, really? And she'll post these amazing pictures from her house. And I'm like, that looks so gorgeous, but it's literally just mountains. Yep, and... it's nothing out there. Yeah, I'm like, wow. It's gorgeous. a really
0: beautiful state, just like mm-hmm. Montana. I think is beautiful because it's like so open, but it's like there's no one living there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm sure most Americans know that. Um. Our international listeners, I don't know, but um. Well,
1: now they do. <laughs> yeah.
0: We like to enlighten. Um. So we're probably going to have a hell of a time finding stories for this. I thought, which. We did. Both of us did. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So anyway, with such few people living in Maine, it made it really hard to find a nice beefy story. Sorry, I don't know how else to describe it other than beefy. Beefy. (laughs) There were many stories that I found a little bit about, but like no real information on them. This one I wanted to do had maybe two articles done on it one was a paragraph long and the other was behind a payroll and i would have to pay 15 dollars just to read the article so i wasn't doing that uh you it was... didn't
1: want that deal for a hundred dollars for all the articles you could read for no a year.
0: no no thanks <laughs> um because it was strictly maine so i mean we're not going to use it again
1: no probably not strictly maine that's like a i don't know yeah i feel like you'd learn all about like Some sexiness in Maine. And blueberries. Strictly Maine. (laughs) Let's get in our canoes and pick some blueberries.
0: Pretty much. Uh, It was about a haunted house where there was the body of a child with a missing foot found inside. What? Yeah. So I was like, what the what?
1: That is like, a. that's such a hard choice. Because you're like, I want to know so much more about how this happened. But I also don't want to spend $15. (laughs) Exactly. It
0: sounded really interesting and scary. And I even had the perfect title for it, too. uh, footless and fancy free (laughs) well you aren't getting that this week but you are going to get a few shorter stories uh i decided i wanted to talk about the many haunted inns in the great state of maine oh so without further ado i will now take you to our first stop we're going to the Kennebunk inn which is in Kennebunk, as the name would suggest which is not the same as Kennebunkport, by the way.
1: Okay, that's what I think of when I hear the word Kennebunk. Yeah, they're
0: they're different. Um, the town of Kennebunk actually seems like a pretty nice one. They have a lot of beaches and a wildlife refuge and, Nicole, lots of blueberry fields, yes. which is what we, or at least I, learned last week is one of the biggest industries in Maine. Never would have thought that. So the Kennebunk Inn was built somewhere around 1799 as the home of Phineas Cole, who I found pretty much zero information on. He then sold the house to Benjamin Smith, who sold it to Dr. Orrin Ross and subsequently gave it to his son, an obstetrician named Dr. Frank Ross, who seemed to be very good at his job since I was able to find out that he reportedly, quote, never lost a mother in over a thousand deliveries, end quote.
1: Wow. So
0: that's really good yeah. for the time, especially. Um, he ended up dying in 1926, and the property went to a Mr. and Mrs. George Baitler, who ended up converting the home into a hotel, which they named The Tavern.
1: Okay, straightforward. I like it.
0: While converting the house, they added a 2.5-story wing, which gave them 50 guest rooms. The downside was that these rooms had shared bathrooms, which should have been a deal breaker for me. I want my privacy and I don't want to be rushed. (laughs) It wasn't until the 1930s that the inn began going by its current name, which is the Kennebunk Inn. The inn fell into disrepair around 1978. It was bought by Arthur and Angela LeBlanc, who restored it. The interesting little tidbit for you that I have, uh, the current owners, Brian and Shanna Ohea, I guess the name's pronounced. Okay. It's O-H-E-A. Yeah, I would say Ohea. Yeah. Um, they are the, the chefs at the inn, and they met in culinary school at Culinary Institute of America. The Culinary Institute of America has four locations, and I'm not sure which one they went to, but I'm guessing... The New York campus, since the others are in California, Texas, and oddly enough, Singapore.
1: But it's still the American. Yeah,
0: it makes the name very misleading. But whatever. Uh, It also may have been California, though, because on the inn's website, it did say that Shannon lived in California for a while.
1: Okay.
0: Fun fact. George H.W. Bush, that's the senior Bush for those of you that don't know, uh, has a summer home just a few miles away from the inn. Oh. So it's very presidential. The food in the restaurant is said to be very good and it better be with the chef's owning it. Um they've actually been featured on like Chopped or one of those.
1: Oh, like one the Food Network. Yeah. That's cool.
0: Their lobster white pizza was featured on Oprah's magazine. Uh sold. Yeah, it was super pricey for a pizza though at $34. But what do you expect when there's lobsters and freaking truffle oil on it? Ugh. The rest of the menu is pretty much the same way, pricey, but everything still seems very appetizing, which should be no surprise with it being owned by chefs.
1: Exactly. They're like, totally like focused on delivering a superb dining experience. And then when you've eaten so much that you can't possibly roll yourself to your car, they have lovely guest rooms for you.
0: Exactly. 50 of them. Perfect. The room styles seem to be named after presidents, which was interesting. There's the Adams Rooms which mostly have queen beds and are around 150 square feet. The Jefferson rooms feature mainly king-size beds and are a bit more spacious at usually around 200 square feet. There was one suite that I found in the Jefferson rooms which had a king-size bed in the bedroom and a twin sleeper sofa in the sitting room. Hmm. The Madison rooms are all 285-square-foot suites, usually with multiple bedrooms. And finally, the Washington suites are massive for a hotel room, or at least they are in my opinion. Suite 39, for example, is 830 square feet. That's only 100 or so square feet smaller than my whole house.
1: I was going to say, I'm like, that's like uh, the size of a a modest home. (laughs) Yes.
0: This one had two bedrooms, a bathroom, a sitting room, and a kitchen. The paranormal activity in this building is partially attributed to the ghost of a man named Silas Perkins. He died somewhere in the mid-20th century and is said to move objects around and throw wine glasses and bottles. Maybe he didn't like his job. Maybe. Um, Another source said the ghost's name was Cyrus and not Silas. The first mention of him was during the time the LeBlancs owned the hotel. Angela said one of her staff went down to the basement and came back up not long after saying there was, quote, a presence down there, and its name was Cyrus. Angela was a skeptic and didn't really believe her, and the two just sort of laughed it off, but the employee would refuse to go down to certain areas in the basement after that.
1: I mean, that's fine.
0: Yeah. There were also reports from a bartender named Dudley who said that the mugs that the hotel had up on like a shelf behind the bar would sometimes fly out of his head. Rude. Glasses would also shatter for no reason.
1: A little terrifying.
0: But, I mean, I don't know if Dudley got stuff thrown in his head because maybe he acted like Deadly from Harry Potter. Who knows? <laughs> so Janet Cipriano, who also worked for the restaurant in the hotel, said she also had an issue of the glassware. She said one night that she was carrying expensive crystal goblets when she walked into the kitchen uh, to her coworkers talking about the ghost. She told them she didn't believe in ghosts, and seconds later, she says a goblet flew off her tray and shattered against the wall. None of the other goblets were knocked over in the process. And she says that it changed her view on ghosts.
1: Wow. That's like perfect timing.
0: Yeah, right? Staff usually set the table for a breakfast the night before by placing glasses and plates and silverware out on the tables. They would sometimes come in to find the silverware moved and the tables and chairs to be out of place. There was also a guest in room seven who said during their stay, the door kept opening on its own, even when locked. They got so fed up with it that they just left the door open for the rest of the night. (laughs) What? Yeah. This might actually be room 17, although it said room 7. You'll understand why in a minute.
1: I'd be so pissed if that happened to me. I'd be like, where is the desk chair that I can prop against the door? Yeah,
0: something. Um, I loved how uh, you were looking in a different direction than as soon as I said, even when locked, your head just flipped back to me. Yep. (laughs) There was also a guest who said while outside, he saw the figure of a man dressed in old-timey clothing standing by one of the second-story windows. Now, I'm going to tell you why the names differed between sources. A newspaper actually ran the story of the ghost supposedly named Cyrus up until that point, and a local woman named Priscilla read the story. She ended up telling them about her father, Silas Perkins, who had spent his final eight years at the inn. On the day he died, he had left the inn to buy a newspaper and suffered a heart attack on the way. He was brought back to the inn and placed in room 17 before passing away. He was 72 years old at the time.
1: Interesting.
0: Fun fact about him. He was actually a night watchman at the inn and was in the coal industry and also was a published poet.
1: Very diverse.
0: He's actually kind of a little famous in Maine for his poetry. Cold spots can be felt in the rooms as well as uh, the door handles jiggling in room 17. Although this ghost may seem a bit like peeves from Harry Potter, and you might think he's being a dick because he didn't want people around, uh, that's not apparently the case. The LeBlancs were able to talk to Silas via a Ouija board, and they asked him, do you like us? He responded with, yes. So that's something at least.
1: Well, hey, at least that's reassuring. You don't have the terror that he's going to throw, you know, glasses at your head. Exactly. Unless you're deadly.
0: Yeah, unless you're deadly. Poor deadly. (laughs) Uh, There's also rumors of previous owners haunting the hotel, but nothing concrete that I could find on that. There's also the ghost of a little girl named Emily, according to a psychic. She's said to be playful and will run up and down the hallway and knock on doors. Like little kids do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Very annoying. Thank you, Emily. One of the workers also said she was completely alone there doing paperwork. There weren't even guests at this point, And she felt like someone had walked up next to her and she heard loud moaning. Oh. The psychic said that there was another ghost named Perkins as well, which is weird since it's Silas's last name. But she says that he's been helping women to their car.
1: That's interesting because he was a night watchman, right? That's what so I he's... said.
0: Uh, well, that's what I wrote here. Yeah. I said, which seems like the duties of a night watchman, which Silas was.
1: Yeah, like the guardian spirit, making sure everything is yeah safe.
0: So I think maybe since she pictured them as different spirits, I think maybe she was seeing different sides of Silas, the you know kind of mischievous one that throws stuff at people and the one that's very helpful. So they also say that the spirits are more active after a remodel or new owners coming in.
1: That makes sense.
0: And that's not unusual by any means that the spirits tend to be more active after a change in ownership or a remodel. They're not used to whatever's happening, so therefore they get a little agitated.
1: Yeah, it's like a disruption.
0: Pretty much. That's it for that story. Okay. Uh, my sources for that one were Main Ghosts and Legends by Thomas Verde, the TheKennyBunkInn.com, OnlyInYourState.com, NewEngland.com, and BangorDailyNews.com. Our next stop is in nearby Kennebunkport.
1: Oh.
0: Like I mentioned before, Kennebunkport is not the same as Kennebunk. There are a lot of beaches here too. It also has a fun place called the Seahorse Trolley Museum and also home to the Goat Island Lighthouse. There's Mm -hmm. a shit ton of lighthouses in Maine too. Yeah. This time I'll be taking you to the Captain Fairfield Inn which was built in 1813 by James Fairfield, and it overlooks the River Green. This place has some really beautiful views and a really nice garden space to relax in. It's much smaller than the Kennebunk Inn and only has nine guest rooms. It has a basement and attic and stands at two stories. Captain James Fairfield had just been released from Dartmoor Prison, where he was kept by the British for privateering in the War of 1812. His father-in-law bought the building for him and his wife, Lois, as a gift for their wedding. Sadly, James only got to enjoy the house with his family for five years when he died of pneumonia, and he was only 38 at the time.
1: Wow, that's sad.
0: The house became a B&B in 1991 and has been a quaint honeymoon spot ever since.
1: That makes sense because it's small, has it's a lovely small, garden. Yeah,
0: very good for you know, newlyweds mm-hmm. or anyone mm-hmm. else looking to have a romantic getaway. So, listeners, hint, hint, wink, wink, if you want to take me there. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am single as hell. Um,
1: single and looking for romantic weekend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so, James Fairfield's portrait is still hanging over the fireplace to this day. But it's just a copy of the original, which is hanging in the Brick Store Museum in Kennebunk. Fairfield had commissioned the portrait of himself in 1808. And had sent it over to his wife via ship. But the ship ended up sinking and the portrait was never received. However, years after this, and I believe after both he and his wife had passed away, a Swedish ship found a floating tube in the water and the portrait was inside and still in good shape. No way. So, tak, Sweden.
1: God, what are the chances? Yeah. That's insane.
0: And tak is Swedish for thank you, by the way. Oh, the inn has a lot of amenities, such as Wi-Fi, gas fireplaces, waffle kimono robes.
1: Wait, what? Waffle?
0: Waffle. Like, I guess, like... um. Kimono? Yeah. Robes. Yes.
1: I like everything about that.
0: I love waffles and kimonos and robes. I
1: know. I was thinking the other day, because I do have a couple of robes that I've been given over the years, and like yeah. I just like... Mm. But I'm like, you know why? Because I feel... I would really enjoy the sweepiness of a kimono. Yeah, I think I just like really harbor a deep love of was it Annie Potts in?
0: Oh uh, yeah, Pretty she and wore pink. a kimono.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Formative. I,
0: I have like a light kimono, and I also have an actual like fluffy bathrobe, and I alternate between the two.
1: It's because you're fashionable.
0: Although the ob for the uh, kimono disappeared, so I don't know where that is. That's like the sash that mm, ties it are, together. Yeah. Yeah. I learned that from crosswords. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, waffle kimono robes. They also have bath products from lather, complimentary breakfast, coffee, tea, and soda twenty four hours a day, Apple TV, free bottled spring water, beach bags and towels, and board games and puzzles.
1: This literally has everything I would want they at do. like a lovely romantic getaway weekend. Yeah. It sounds
0: really good. The first ghostly apparition seen was during its renovation when being turned into a hotel. And it was none other than the man himself, Captain James Fairfield. Hmm. He was seen in the basement just floating around in a dark corner. Many guests have also seen him just sort of hanging out around the place. He seems very cordial and friendly and appears to like what the owners have done with the place. That's good. Other guests have seen him watching them, but no one seems to be bothered by it. He seems just just to be observing really and perhaps watching over everyone. So that's really all I have for that. That's the only real ghost, well, but I thought it was pretty interesting.
1: It is interesting, and now that I know about this inn, I'm kind of like, "Ooh."
0: I know, it seems fun. <laughs> On the list. Yeah.
1: I would I would stay there in a uh I know it's haunted and I'm like, a weirdo about." staying at haunted places but I would give it I would give it a go you'd give it a shot just for those waffle kimono robes I mean
0: all he's gonna do is stare at you so
1: and he's friendly and he might you know what I'm such a dub when it comes to psychic things that I'm sure he wouldn't even bother
0: (laughs) he might play a board game with you who knows
1: (laughs) did you move my checker
0: no (laughs) or he'll come up to you and be like would you like to be interviewed for your podcast (laughs) or would you like to have an interview subject for your podcast whatever I meant to say you know words aren't my strong suit sometimes (laughs) So my sources for that one were ghost.hauntedhouses.com, captainfairfield.com, oddins.com, and hauntingsofamerica.blogspot.com. For our final stop today, we're heading to Tenants Harbor, to a little place called East Wind Inn. The inn itself was originally a sail loft and part of a working boatyard constructed in 1860 by John Fuller. There was also a general store inside in the early days, and this was one of the largest homes in the area at the time. Okay. His sons used the basement as their tin shop as well. Oh, wow. It used to host Masonic meetings and town meetings alike until it became an inn in the 1920s, where a lot of seafaring visitors from Massachusetts would stay for the summer. The inn did shut down for a while and changed hands a lot in the 1950s, but later in 1974, it was purchased and restored by a local named Tim Watts, and he reopened it as an inn. He was also the one to name it the East Wind Inn. Previously, it had been known as the Wani Set, which I'm assuming is Native American. It sounds like sounds it. it. Yeah. When it first became an inn, it was called that, and it was created by a man named Charles Raleigh under that name. Okay. Later, he added to the building when he purchased an adjacent property, which was an old sea captain's mansion, because I guess Maine has no shortage of those. (laughs) This house had already been converted into a boarding house, so I guess it was a little less work that he had to do Mm -hmm. to convert that. He named it the Meeting House Annex, and it became part of the inn. When Tim Watts passed away in 2012... Guess the Mayans are right about that, but only for him. (laughs) (laughs) A man named Randy Deutsch purchased the inn. Randy had spent many summers in the town of Tenants Harbor. He decided to majorly renovate the inn by upgrading the rooms and bringing it into the modern age as far as safety features go, while still keeping the outside mostly in its historic state. Okay. There is a restaurant in this hotel, and it's called the Quarry Tavern. Formerly the Set restaurant. It has a big, beautiful, well, several big, beautiful windows. So you could feel that you're dining in a coastal town because you can see everything. That's cool. I dig that. Yeah, it's really nice. Its menu has a lot of the standard seafood fare that you'd expect from Maine. But there's also some interesting additions to the menu, such as a burger with bacon jam and the occasional southern dish, such as cornmeal shrimp with Cajun dipping sauce. I'm kind of intrigued by the bacon jam burger. Get unsure about it at the same time. What do you think?
1: I have had bacon jam in various sorts, various uh, iterations. Is it good? It can be. So it depends on the version you get. I, there's some places uh, that I know I can take you to.
0: Because I know I would. I thought that hot pepper jelly would be like the most disgusting thing, but it's so good. It's shocking, right? Yes. There was this restaurant um, called the Regalsville Tavern. It's a different thing now and they took all the stuff I loved off the menu. (laughs) Um, but the one was this um habanero burger. Mm. And it had habanero jelly, which was delicious. Um, and like red onions and all that good stuff that I love. Yes. And they also had these buffalo spring rolls that were amazing.
1: I get behind spring rolls. I like spring rolls. But
0: when I ordered them the one time I accidentally said Buffalo Springfield.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know it's delightful. Pepper jelly with brie. Any kind of creamy cheese? Okay, I could see that. It's like the top three best accompaniments to brie.
0: Whenever the hot pepper jelly would like fall off the burger, because, you know, it does, (laughs) um, I would end up like dipping my fries in it. And that was really good too. But I've also dipped my fries in like sweet chili sauce and other stuff that you don't really think goes with fries. Yeah. But here, spoiler alert, anything goes with potatoes. Anything. (laughs) Chocolate covered potato chips. Potatoes still go work. with
1: potatoes, for God's sake.
0: Oh yeah. Potatoes definitely go with potatoes. <laughs> I would like some potatoes with my potatoes always. Always. As far as the rooms go, the few I saw looked gorgeous. And all rooms in both buildings have views of the harbor, which is something that I love. There's also, according to the website, quote, locally sourced antiques. Or locally acquired antiques.
1: That sounds suspicious.
0: End quote. In each of the rooms. Yeah, I mean, you know, haunted objects. That's (laughs) how you get ghosts. That is how you get ghosts. Do you want ghosts? ghosts? Go (laughs) antiquing. (laughs) There are also 19 rooms in all. One of which being an apartment. Oh, cool. There's private baths and Wi-Fi, so that part's modern. But here's the weird thing. TVs are available by request in most rooms. And only some of the rooms have air conditioning. So that's a little weird. By request, someone's going to be like, I brought up your TV for you. Yeah,
1: that'd be weird. Maybe it's something that you request like when you make when
0: a reservation. When you're asking for a room. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. that's just It just sounds weird. TV by request. TV by request. They also have a complimentary breakfast, which is always something I love. Go downstairs in your pajamas if you want and just get yourself some free food. If you're looking for something to do during your stay here, you can go to nearby Rockland, which also has a haunted hotel that I'll briefly touch on at the end. But Rockland has the Farnsworth Art Museum, if that's your jam, if that's your bacon jam. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a lighthouse museum, which I know you'd like to go to, Nicole, because of your love of Thomas Kincaid.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) You also can visit owls head and go to the owls head transportation museum which i'm sure is fun too with all the old cars and airplanes that they have this area is known as saint george peninsula and is mostly known for its breathtaking coastlines and its art hence all the museums you can kayak and also visit a lot of the islands that are off the coast so there's never going to be a dull moment if you stay here there's also the marshall point lighthouse which is a big attraction for tourists as well As for the hauntings, somewhere in the 1800s, there was a woman found stabbed to death near the property. Whoa, what? Yep. Woman found stabbed to death near the property.
1: That's shocking.
0: Yes. But who doesn't love a good murder with their hauntings, you know? I
1: mean, it doesn't go with my complimentary breakfast eggs.
0: No, I think I'd uh, be put off my breakfast eggs. Maybe the pancakes. Uh, Pancakes are still fine. So, yes, she was found stabbed to death by the property. She now haunts the upper floors of the main building, including the attic. People who stay on the top floor report feeling very strong emotions that might not be their own and furniture and other objects have been seen moving on their own. Some people even believe that she may have been murdered in one of the rooms up there, but then just p- placed outside to find. Yeah. Some also say that they've been pushed by her. There's been reports around like 3 or 4 a.m. of what sound like a woman crying or wailing coming from nowhere. Ugh. There are cold spots and even, like, the room becoming icy cold in the middle of the night. Maybe that's why not all the rooms have air conditioning. Maybe. The ghosts do it for you. <laughs> People have been held down in their beds. Nope. Unable to move. Nope. They feel pressure on their chest and their throats and say they can't even scream. That's a big nope. No, exactly. Mm-mm. Several of the windows in these rooms have also spontaneously shattered with no known cause. Yeah. This is like the real deal, people.
1: So at first I was like, ah, okay, the t- not like the TV by requesting. And then it was like, uh, and you, you might feel like you're being strangled to death in your sleep. And yeah. then the window <laughs> shattering, this is definitely not no. the place to
0: stay. <laughs> and it's funny because it seems like so beautiful. But then I'm like, oh, I don't want to stay here anymore. <laughs> yeah. So there's all that good stuff. Window shattering, feeling like you're being choked. If that's your bag, then <laughs> go for it. Guests and employees alike have felt overwhelming sadness or anger in these rooms as well. Rooms 12 and 14 are the most active. And once the roofs blew off of these rooms and only these rooms. Weird. Yeah. The roofs just blew off 12 and 14 and that's it. Uh, When investigated, they found a mattress in one of the rooms that had been cut in half. What? Yeah. That's creepy. Noises can be heard coming from the ceiling. And one guest said that she was forcibly pushed out of bed. That was just the upstairs.
1: Oh, my God. Are you serious? Yep. Oh, my God.
0: Save the best one for last. (laughs) On the lower floors, people experience the sensation of someone standing next to them when there's no one around. Mm. They say that although they might be frightened by this initially, the spirit doesn't seem to want to harm anyone. The spirit or possibly another spirit is said to appear in a transparent gray color and can be seen going up the stairs or staring out at the harbor and is usually accompanied by the smell of pipe tobacco. Hmm. It is postulated that this is the spirit of a sea captain who used to stay at the inn. The doors to the dining room swing open and closed on their own and the doors will slam shut by themselves. Dogs also do not like this place at all and will growl and bare their teeth at what looks like nothing. Their hair will even stand up.
1: That's concerning.
0: Finally, in the basement, you can hear the sound of footsteps from above in the dining room, even when no one's there. So that's that story. But
1: I know you can see my face, but listeners, I just gave Eden like the most uncomfortable, dissatisfied
0: look. Yes, it's yeah, that (laughs) that one I probably would not stay in because it's a bit too much for me. I would like to go and investigate, but I wouldn't want to stay there.
1: We can just stay up the road.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of haunted places in Kennebunkport. uh, And wait, where was this one? This one was somewhere else. This one was Tenants... Yeah, it it was closer to Owl's Head. Yeah. Tenants something. I forget what it's called now. It's in my notes somewhere. But anyway, briefly, I would just want to touch on some of the other haunted inns that I could only find a little bit on. But there are a ton in Maine. The Tides Inn on Goose Rock Beach which is also in Kennebunkport because I guess every inn is haunted there. It's haunted by the owner uh, from 19 or 19. Yeah, sure. 1899. Her name is Emily. And I don't know what she does because it just didn't say
1: a lot of ghostly Emily's in Maine. Yeah.
0: And again, in Kennebunkport, there's an inn called the Shamit Inn, which is haunted by the ghost of a blonde woman said to be the wife of a former owner who apparently killed himself because he was gay and couldn't handle it. Uh, She's just reportedly haunting the house now. I want to say that this inn no longer exists, though, as well. Uh. So you can't go there. There's the Admiral Perry Inn in Freiburg, which is haunted by the ghost of a girl named Annabelle, and I hope she shares no traits with that creepy doll. (laughs) The 1804 Coach Stop Inn in Bar Harbor has a child ghost, or several of them, that like to play pranks, such as flick the lights on and off, and open and close doors.
1: Mm. No, no terrifying child laughter. I hope.
0: No, not that time around, but I'm sure there's more. The Barry Manor Inn is haunted by the apparitions of Victorian women, who just seem to hang out there. They don't really do much. You just see Victorian women standing about.
1: <laughs> ladies, 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 look at this corset. Look. They're look having at- a hen party. <laughs>
0: Or a Hindu? Is that another name for it? Hindu. Yeah. Maybe. I know I've heard the term Hindu before. I don't remember if that's if I'm using it correctly though. Finally, then there's the Greenville Inn at Moosehead Lake, which is in Greenville. It has disembodied voices, a tap dancing ghost, and the spirit of a beautiful woman. These were not all the haunted hotels and inns in Maine. So if you want to check out more, you can look them up yourself because I'm done, guys. I'm done. (laughs) There are a lot of them to be had. And if you ever visit Maine and you need a hotel, you might just want to try one of these if you're brave enough. I feel Especially that last one.
1: Right. I feel like the lesson is don't stay at the Hojo. (laughs) Go out of your way to find a nice inn.
0: Yeah. Nice, quaint inn where you can be strangled to death in your sleep. (laughs)
1: You heard it here first.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Don't blame us. We take no responsibility for your actions. So if you stay there and almost die, don't blame us. But
1: totally let
0: us know about it. Yeah, still write in. Ah, That's all I have. Your sources? Oh, my sources. I guess I need sources for the last one. There we go. TheEastWindIn.com. HauntedPlacesToGo.com. All of those have a hyphen between them hauntsofamerica.blogspot.com and visit maine.net.
1: So are you being paid by the Maine Tourism Board for highlighting all their lovely inns?
0: Yes. No, I'm not. I wish I was. <laughs> Maine, Yeah, I did you a favor, <laughs> so you're going to pay me now, okay? Or just at least give me some free room and board when I decide to go there.
1: Just saying. Some coupons would be lovely. Absolutely. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of our, our adventure in Maine.
0: That it does. Would you stay at any of those hotels?
1: Uh, yeah the second one The, the Captain James fair, Fairfield Yeah Yeah that place sounded that's cool That's probably
0: the one That I would want to stay to. I'd love to go to the other ones But I would not stay there overnight Especially that last one Fair fair No way in hell
1: Pass Big pass
0: Yeah Shattering windows That's fucking nonsense Nope And roofs blowing off
1: Well that's what I'm curious about So like if you're staying there And like your your window shatters Like do you get a discount Do you have to pay for that Yeah Because
0: like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have to pay for it And you get a discount I mean that's like you know Yeah you want to break a window? <laughs> I don't know
0: why. At that point, if you got your room for free, I would just be like, takes a hammer, smashes it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It just broke on its own. I guess I have to it you was, know, stay for free now. It was terrifying. Yeah. I am suing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, gang. Um, I guess if you would like to contact us, if you have stayed at these places, awesome. Let us know. If you haven't and you want to know more about it, you can always shoot us an email. Or t- really, emails about anything. We'll, we'll get back to you.
0: If you've stayed at other haunted hotels in Maine, please let us know as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: you can email us at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com.
0: You can also visit us on our website, which is roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com.
1: You are welcome to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Show,
0: And on Twitter, sometimes, maybe at roadside horror
1: <laughs> uh last but certainly not least i'd like to thank Yax rocks designs for our lovely logo and e massey for our intro and outro music
0: all right guys until next time creep, creep on on, creepin creepin on. on.